Our Bible reading for today that the sermon is based on is from Genesis chapter 50. That's the very end of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Some background to this story that's very important. This is the story of Joseph. And so what I'm going to read is at the very end when Joseph's father, Jacob, dies. And there's some drama in that because Joseph's brothers, he has lots of brothers, and when he was little, Joseph was uh, a little schnickelfritz. That's what my grandpa would use that term. You know what a schnickelfritz is? A schnickelfritz is a German word for a, like a provoker, like a, someone who always pokes and teases. And, and So that was, Joseph had that kind of personality, and then he was his father's favorite, and his father gave him a, a coat of many colors, right? A multicolored coat, and he had these dreams out to his brothers, and he said, look, my coat, it's better than yours, and he, he just needled as a schnickelfitz, and uh, he had dreams where they bowed down to him, and he, he, he told his dreams, and after a while, they just, his brothers got tired of it, and uh, they just said, we got to get rid of this kid, we don't want him anymore, and, uh, you know, they, one day they threw him into a pit, and, uh, and then that wasn't enough, and they saw uh, slave traders come by, and one of them had the idea, let's just sell him off and be done with him. And so they sold Joseph to slave traders when he was a boy. And they took him off to Egypt, sold him as a slave to Potiphar, right? Potiphar's wife framed him. Joseph ends up in prison, spends years in prison. God is with him. He succeeds. Uh, the, the, somehow the royalty in Egypt noticed Joseph. He has his ability to interpret dreams. Joseph ends up helping in the palace of the Egyptian pharaoh, he, he rises up faster than Mark Zuckerberg on the uh, promotion ladder and ends up second in command in Egypt to Pharaoh himself. Joseph, this little schnickelfritz, becomes ruler of Egypt. Years later, there's a famine in all of the land, and his brothers and his family experience this famine. And so the brothers go to Egypt to get grain. Joseph and the Egyptians have stored up for years. They don't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognizes them, and the drama begins. Uh, I'll talk more about it in the sermon, but Joseph goes through this series of different tests with his brothers, and through that series learns to forgive them. Uh, eventually, he invites them, his brothers, to, to live right in Egypt and be where the grain is and where all the goods are. And so they do. They move there. Everything is great. And then the father dies. Then, then Jacob dies. And that's the scene now. Jacob has died, and now the brothers are worried. Now that dad is gone, Joseph's going to get revenge. Here's the scene. Genesis 50, 50 beginning at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph, he said. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. So they said, the father said, so now the brothers say, now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came 
and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. I could see in that dramatic moment after Joseph had risen to power in Egypt and the very first time the brothers came to get grain and they didn't know it was Joseph and then he went on these series of tests and then a few years later, that, that, that series of tests it seems to me lasted about two years. When I was in Sunday school, I thought it was like two weeks. It, it seems that it was longer than that. At the very least, months, if not a couple of years. And it would have been interesting in those days if uh, YouTube TV was launching and they had some provocative journalist like a Jerry Springer type person who, want, who got his hands on this story and titled it, Siblings Who Sell Each Other Into Slavery and got a hold of the brothers and brought them in. And they're in the studio, and this provocative journalist is saying, uh, all right, so now tell me more about Joseph this, uh, as a kid. I mean, what was that like, and what happened? And you can just hear the different brothers. Wow, oh, those, those dreams just drove us crazy. Ah, oh, and that coat, it was so ugly. He actually thought we were jealous. Yeah, and we were pretty tired of him being dad's favorite. <sighs> yeah, we just needed to get rid of that guy. And the journalist, so tell what happened. Well, uh, I don't know. We were looking for a way to get rid of him. I mean, some, some of us wanted to kill him, but we realized we couldn't do that. So we just wanted to, to ruffle his feathers a little bit, and we throw him into the cistern, and we thought that was enough. But then the slave traders came by. Yeah, the other says, and we, could, we sold him for 20 shekels. And, and the, the crowd's getting into the scene. They're hearing the story. And what the brothers don't know is that the, the provocative journalists, the producers have... Backstage, Zaphonath Pania. Zaphonath Pania is second in command of Pharaoh in Egypt. And they bring Zaphonath Pania out into the studio, and the, you know, the music sound engineer cues the Egyptian drums, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And, and Zaphonath Pania is dressed in all the royal garb and gold and headdress. He looks just like a pharaoh, all the royal makeup that he has on, the Egyptian makeup. And he's, he's uh, flanked by, by big, bulky bodyguards, bronzed by the sun, wearing gold bracelets. And, uh, and the producer says, I want to introduce you to Zaphonath Panea, also known as Joseph. <sighs> what do you say to that, brothers? The brothers bow down desperately to the ground bow before Jacob, just like the sheaves of grain did in, in, in Joseph's dreams. And Joseph approaches them. And everyone in the studio is waiting for his, his condemnation, for his revenge, for him just flick his pinky as an, as an Egyptian ruler and put these brothers in their place. And Joseph gives each one a loving embrace and says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? 
you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is being done, the saving of many lives. He's talking about he was in a position to distribute the grain that they had saved up in Egypt over the years. He's seeing the good happen from all this. So then, don't be afraid that he says it two times in one breath. I will provide for you and your children, and, and he reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them. Part of the drama, which is why I introduced to you the story of Joseph before all this, I really believe part of the drama is, here is the wider story. What, jo what Joseph said here, this is not like a, a can of aerosol spray in your house where something doesn't smell right in the kitchen and you, you know, you just, you just, oh, it's all done, it's easy, it's over. Um, forgiveness doesn't work that way. Forgiveness is, is a process and we need to grow into it. And Joseph grew into this, this forgiveness process over a two-year period where he was testing his brothers i mean he framed one and he threw another in prison is that forgiveness I, joseph was figuring out over this period of testing how to forgive what that really looked like for his brothers i i believe he was kind of there but not all the way there until they got to this point that says something about forgiveness that is this, forgiveness is not natural. Forgiveness is not automatic. Forgiveness is not a law of behavior in our world. You don't go to Archie's Tacos, order three tacos and some of their awesome queso and chips, and, and the bill is uh, $23. You don't go there and pull out, oh, I'm, oh, all I have is $5. And they don't say, oh, never mind, that's okay. They might say, if you have $22.89, they might say that's okay. But you see, there's conditions. Our world doesn't operate by forgiveness. Cattle don't forgive coyotes who gang up on their friend and eat him. It's, it's, not, an, it's not a rule of nature. The umpire at home plate, after, there's, after a runner runs around the bases, thinks he has a home run, slides into home plate, and there's dust and there's dirt, he didn't make it. He's out. The umpire doesn't look at him and say, well, son, because you hustled so well around the bases, I'm going to call you safe. Our world doesn't work that way. Forgiveness is unnatural. And that's why it took Joseph two years to walk through this process because forgiveness is excruciatingly difficult. Forgiveness is hard, heart-wrenching work. There is hurt. There is pain. There are scars that never, ever go away. And that makes, even our sin nature, even as Christians, as believers, we have a sin nature in us that makes us feel like it's important to get revenge, it, that it's important not to forgive someone, or we might be condoning their sinful behavior that make it messy and hard and difficult and make us 
not do it as much as we need to, even as believers. We do not forgive 100% of the time. It, we just can't do it. But that's why it's important for us to have a series on forgiveness, because we need to understand this as believers. Forgiveness is not something that we can do. Forgiveness is something that only God can do, and then he brings us into the scene. Forgiveness is God's business. It's a divine act of grace. Joseph says that. In those words that he said to his brothers, he said, am I in the place of God? Right? Joseph said, am I in the place of God? Joseph is admitting, guys, there's part of me that wants to wring your necks right now. There's part of me that wants, wants to get back at you, that just wants to put you in, in prison the rest of your life. I want to make you slaves. I want you to go to prison like I was in prison. I want you to be framed. I want you to suffer injustice. You know, Joseph is saying, there's part of me that wants to do that, guys. But he doesn't do it. He, he, am I in the place of God? Joseph says, there's something that I want, but I know there's something that God wants. And I want what God wants. I want to forgive. Forgiveness is a divine act of grace. Who, do, who does God forgive? One of the biggest questions you can ask when you're in that struggle trying to forgive someone, who does God forgive? Ask the kids from our children's message, who does God forgive? Right, from 1 John chapter 2, here's a great Bible verse. It says, if anybody does sin, we have Jesus Christ, the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. God forgives everybody. Everybody was forgiven by the payment that Jesus made on the cross. So I want you to think right now. Maybe you, if you close your eyes or just look down and somehow, some way, I want you to think of that person who has really caused you hurt in your heart, who you struggle to forgive. You find it excruciatingly difficult. Maybe you try to avoid it and not think about it. Um, the bully in sixth grade, I can picture him. I can tell you his name, but I'm not going to. The coworker who cost you the project and the promotion. The classmate who cheated off of you to get honors that you deserve. The contractor who cost you thousands. The ex. The family member who didn't behave like your family is supposed to behave. The neighbor who makes your life miserable. The person at church that you, in the bottom of your heart, hope you don't see at church today. God is not asking you to do something natural. God's asking you to do what he's already done. He's already forgiven that person at the cross. They have 
the full payment that Jesus offered to forgive them of their sins. That's not natural. That's God's business. It's God's work. And he's saying to you, you can do it because I already have. Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them to people who didn't deserve forgiveness. But that's the point, isn't it? This person you're thinking of, I'm not saying they deserve your forgiveness or God's. But not forgiveness if you don't. Forgiveness is a gift. Four plus give. And God has given you and me that gift when we haven't forgiven and give that gift to the people that you need to forgive too. Um, so I, there's a warning in here, okay? And, and the warning is this. Uh, there's a difference between saying, I can't forgive and I won't forgive. Understand this. This is a good place to be. This is a dangerous place to be. A bad place. If you in your heart say, this is, I, this, is what, this is what Joseph was saying for two years. I don't know if I can forgive. I can't. I can't do it, God. I can't do it. I'm supposed to. I know I'm supposed to. I, I'm thinking of this person, but I, I'm just not at the place yet. And you're struggling with it, and you're wrestling with it. Good. It's there. It's, it's on your heart. It's on the scene. You haven't pushed it away like the person who says, I will not forgive. Jesus was here. Right? Jesus is the instrument of God as he sent to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins or the sins of the world. And Jesus goes through his ministry and he's tempted in the desert and he's growing. To, he knows he's going to Jerusalem to die and he's, he's there and it's the night before and the night before is always, right? The night before a big trip, you're all, you're all Jesus, the night before he's going to die on the cross and he's having second thoughts about this. And in the garden, he prays. And earlier, he had prayed for his disciples. He had prayed for the world. He had prayed for you and me and prayed for beautiful things. And now what does he pray? Father, I don't know if I can. I can't. Was he thinking? I can't. I can't go on with this. Is there another way? Father, take this cup from me. I don't, I don't know about this forgiveness. I don't, what's needed of me, I, I don't know if I can give it. He was there for a time. And that's okay. He wasn't there. I just will not do this anymore. I've, 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 had, I've had enough, Father. You've given me the, the, these disciples. One of them denied me three times. The other betrayed me. The rest don't get it. And Jerusalem has rejected me, and, and the, the church has gone bizarre. I'm done. That he wasn't there. The devil wants to pull you and me captive. To pretend that we've forgiven someone when we're living like we have not. To, to push it aside and just say, I'm, I don't want to deal with it. That's not here. I don't want I want I just want that evil person out of my life. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want any contact with them. I'm I'm done. Won't. 
insisting on revenge, wanting to wring their neck. I mean, there's signs that you have not forgiven a person. If you say that you've forgiven the contractor who cost you thousands of dollars on your project, but every time you tell a new neighbor about that project and you have to tell them how terrible the contractor is, I don't know if you've forgiven that contractor. If it keeps coming up in your conversations, in your heads, I think you're closer to here than here. If you fly off the handle at bad drivers and, and, and in your mind and heart go berserk and it causes you stress and Ephesians 4 says this, get rid of all bitterness and anger because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. When, when you want God's wrath and anger on your alcoholic father, on your oppressive boss, on the less than Christian actions of a fellow church member, and you, you want God's anger and wrath on them, God says, I'm going to give my anger and wrath to you. When you will not forgive someone, it puts you in a more dangerous, sinful place than the person who sinned against you. I'm not mad, but I'm, this is so serious, right? Ephesians, you get rid of all bitterness or, or God's going to bring his wrath on you. So how? It's hard, God. The line between these two is so thin. How do I not step there? It's hard. It's hard to forget the alcoholic father who, who, who made, maybe even made you who you are today and you don't like yourself. It's hard to forgive the nagging mother who won't let you feel like you're the successful mom and wife that you are. It's hard. Let's remember this. Forgiveness is not forgetful. You don't have to forget. There are scars. Jesus had scars. Didn't he? He had scars from suffering. Sin. Not his sin. Our sin. But the scars didn't go away. When he rose from the dead... God didn't raise his son scarless. He kept them. The scars don't go away. You may remember the hurt the rest of your life. You don't have to forget it, but do this. Even as you feel the hurt, understand that the hurt is not writing the rest of your story. Not when God's on the scene. God is the author of of your story. Joseph said to his brothers, you hurt me. He says in these words, right, in Genesis 50, you intended to harm me. That He's looking at his brothers and says, what you did was wrong. You lost it. You lost control of what family love really means. You hurt me. You intended to harm me, Joseph says, but he goes on. But you, brothers, are not the author of my story. I am not going to let you 
evil brothers that you were, be the author of my life, be the author of my story. Tell me who I am and what I can do. I don't give that power to you. God doesn't give it to you, and I don't give it to you either. I give the power to write my story to God, who forgives me for how I feel about you sometimes, and he forgives you too, right? God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph has a choice. He can squash his brothers, get rid of them, kill them, put them away, sell them to foreigners, make them fight lions, feed them to the alligators. I mean, he has that power to do that. It's very easy for him to do that. He's ruler of Egypt. He has a choice. He can choose to do to them what they've done to him. Very easily. But because he trusts and believes in the God who is the author of his story, he chooses to not do the same to his brothers and instead to forgive. He blesses those who have cursed him. He prays for those who have mistreated him. He gives grain to the very men who robbed him of his clothing. He presses his cheek with its warm tears against the cheeks of his brothers who pounded their fists against his. He gives grace to people who don't deserve it. He doesn't forget the hurt, but he doesn't let it write his grace. Uh, I just, this just made me think of that, that awesome verse in Romans, right? That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Joseph was trusting in that verse. It wasn't written yet, but he is trusting in what's behind that verse. He was trusting in the promise behind that verse that God is good. All the time. And that there was nothing injustice or pain or hurt could do to separate him from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you and I remember that more when we think about forgiveness? Absolutely. That's the work, of, that's God's business. That's the work of forgiveness. And that's how forgiveness grows in our heart. Uh, that, that our own God experienced more hurt than we ever will when he did his work to forgive us by sending his son. That Jesus experienced more pain, physical and spiritual and emotional pain, than, than all of us put together ever will. That he experienced more injustice in that moment of saving us and forgiving us than you will ever experience, ever. You see how God was willing to go there and now says to you, I've taken care of it. It's divine work. You can do it. In his heart, Joseph trusted and believed that he was freely forgiven, that his brothers were freely forgiven, and that God is authoring his story and, and good all the time. Joseph practiced the words that Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, 
Forgive your brother from the heart. So when you don't know if you really can do it, when you just, you'd rather not even think about it, and maybe I've, I've prompted that a little more today. When you just, you're not sure if you won't or can't, or just remember that, that forgiveness starts with your trust in the God who worked forgiveness for the world in Jesus. For you and for the person that it's hard to forgive. And that forgiveness is not transactional, okay? Forgiveness is not a matter of the head. It, it doesn't depend on you in your head putting all the pieces together and saying, okay, if I forgive them, then there's going to be A and B and C and D, and they have to line up, and then if that happens, then what if this happens? And, that, and that, That's not forgiveness. Uh, I know sometimes that there needs to be consequences that people experience for their sins. I know that there needs to be discipline that is given out to people for their sins. I know there needs to be appropriate boundaries to prevent people from sinning further. Those are all good and necessary at the appropriate time and place, but they are not forgiveness. They should accompany forgiveness. And when they don't, I'm a dad. I know it's very easy to discipline my, my boys when they were little. It was easy to discipline them in anger and a spirit of bitterness and not control and not in ungrace and unforgiveness. I just wanted them to learn a lesson. And the two need to go together or it's not forgiveness. Right? My head says I, there, there has to be the right lineup of things. My, it, forgiveness is a matter of heart. It's not transactional. I don't put the plan together. This is how it's going to look, and you're going to behave this way, and if you do this, and if you meet these criteria, then you're forgiven. It's relational. It's choosing grace that's already in my heart. The world has no clue about this. It, it's not their fault, necessarily. I, I mean, Adam ruined it all at the beginning when he brought sin in the world, but but the world, for the, for the world, forgiveness is transactional. It's conditional. And, and then it makes it really not forgiveness at all. So can I plead with you? Don't only take this to heart today for the person or people you need to forgive. And you go work on that. I know you will. I know God will bless you in it. But do this. Shed a tear with me and and have your heart just broken just a little bit for our world because they don't know what forgiveness is. And we're the church, and we're not perfect, and there's a lot of things wrong with us and with me. Okay, that's fine. But I tell you what, here in the church or in your church, we know forgiving grace. We have it. We believe it. And we can practice it so that the world knows where we are as a church, where, where people in our community to know us as a place of forgiving grace, or to know you wherever you go, live and work and play. Can we just show it to them? There's a study done by uh, 
Philip Yancey writes about this in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. Um, it's in one of the chapters that, that some of our people are reading. Uh, they're participating in email discussion as they read it. And uh, he, he, Yancey points to a study that was, or a letter that was written by, by a group of men who are in a Christian, uh, uh, e Christian education as youth. Um, and it wasn't just a youth group. It was like years of education, elementary, middle school, uh, even high school. And uh, this group, I think it was 10 or 20 guys, all left the church, drifted from church. All of them but two returned to the church. And when they got together, they said, why are we back? All of them who returned had this as their answer. Before they talked to each other, it, with di different, different phrases and words, but they all meant this. The reason we came back is to the church is because nowhere else could we find forgiving grace. So it's here. It's not in the world. Yancey writes this. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. You can. You know it. You know God's grace for you. God is a ruler even more than Joseph was. And God didn't put his thumb on Joseph. God didn't get rid of Joseph when jo Joseph was being, being a schnickel fritz to his brothers. God didn't even steal Joseph's gifts that he used against his brothers. God said, I want you to keep those for the rest of your life, and, and Joseph could use them for good. God forgave Joseph. God forgives you, and now wants you to go and forgive others too. If you want to rise up to your own defense and tell me that this sermon is not for you, that you've totally and completely forgiven everyone, and that you don't need to be here for the rest of this series, I've got to tell you this. I've just got to be honest. Most of the people in my years of counseling and being a pastor and a friend studying the scriptures, most of the people who rise up in their own defense to convince me that they have forgiven someone have not. And most of the people who come to me and say, as a friend, as a pastor, I'm really struggling here. I can't, I'm, I can't forgive my... It really hurts. It, it, I don't know if I can do it. Most of the people who come with that attitude have already forgiven, and they just don't know it. That's how forgiveness works. It's all about seeing it as a divine act of God's grace. And it's about trusting that God, God is a better justice dispenser than I am. He'll take care of what I think I need to take care of, what I shouldn't because I need to forgive. God is the, a better determiner of what fairness is in, in life than you are, than I am. And so I'm, I'm going to finish with two words that Joseph says twice in his words to his brothers in this, in this Genesis 50, verses 19 to 21, right? This is a phrase he says twice in there. Did you catch it? Don't be afraid. He says to his brothers who came to him and said, we want to forgive us. They said, we'll be slaves. See that? That's the world's way. We'll be slaves. You forgive us and we'll be... You don't know. I'm going to... 
said, don't be afraid. I'm going to forgive you freely. But the reason Joseph could say to his brothers, don't be afraid, is because in his own heart, when it came to forgiveness, he wasn't afraid either. Trust in God. Trust in what he's done for you and done for all sinners. In your heart, don't be afraid. And you're going to be on this good path of trying and trying and forgiving and forgiving and getting ever closer to what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 5, be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. Please, be forgiven and forgive. Amen. Let us pray. Such deep things, Lord. They, they weigh on my heart because they're so personal for me as I think about my act of forgiveness and how I want it just to come for a second and then go away and leave me alone and I get on to bigger and busier things. And you confront me with people who need my forgiveness and need my grace. And I thank you for those people because they remind me how I need your forgiveness and grace too. Lord, take this message of Joseph's story. It's real, it's historical, it happened, and you are the God of it and the author of it. And make it more powerful in our lives so that we can forgive those that we think we can't or maybe even that we won't. Thank you for your total forgiveness of us, sending your son Jesus to die on the cross. For no conditions, no payments, no demands for the free gift of your love. May that gift bring greater awe and intimacy into our hearts as we appreciate your forgiveness of us and then reflect that same forgiveness to others.